uh, thank you for being here tonight, Ron. Thank you for leading us in song, and uh, I just uh, we had a good, a short but good pastor meeting tonight. So we praise the Lord for that. A lot of things going on. Uh, we're planning already for the uh, fall Bible conference, and uh, we haven't even gotten done with VBS yet. So <laughs> that's good. I am looking for a pair of glasses, by the way. If anyone sees, oh, there they are. Right, we're on the clip, my clipboard. I left it over here. This is the way, if you guys ever uh, lived in my house with me, you would find out this is what life is like. And so um, I'm not even, <laughs> it's going to be bad when I get a little older. So praise the Lord. All right, I feel better now. Everything's in order. I had the right, I have two spectacles, but I have the right spectacles. I want, the, I want these spectacles when I'm at church. So I have a pattern there. Um, and so uh, it's good to have you guys tonight. Thank you for being here. We're going to continue our study here of the Credible Christian Life. Uh, and we're going to then uh, get into prayer tonight. We actually have the prayer pieces, praise the Lord. So uh, we'll get back into spreading those out. And it's good to have everybody here. It's good to see everybody uh, working so hard the last several days uh, to get everything ready. And I think we're just about there. So um, uh, it's really good. I put up a video on Facebook a couple hours ago, and uh, everybody was, you know, commenting on it and what have you. So. I think folks should be spreading the word, and we can still take more sign-ups. So we'll pray for that, that God brings more people uh, this week into the to the sermon, or into the uh, VBS. All right, so tonight we're going to just pick up where we were. And then outline-wise, I think there may be a few. Is there, are there any more handouts on the, um, on the uh, connections counter? So there may or there may not be. So I don't know if I had extras or not. I may hand them all out last week. But uh, we're, we're following along the outline that, that I had, and I didn't bring extras, so I, I forgive me uh, for that. We'll see if uh, they come up with any. But um, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we've been looking at the credible Christian life. And two weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago now, we saw that credible Christians communicate biblically. They, they uh, care for the body. They give, to the, they give God the credit. And they don't compromise. Very similar to what we were talking about this morning. And so uh, last week when we got together, uh, we spent some time talking about the, um, you know, where is the spiritual fruit? And remember that old commercial, where's the beef, right? So Paul's asking, where's the spiritual fruit? And we talked about how our credibility is not found in religious credentials. Uh, Paul was, uh, you know, wasn't really willing to send a letter of commendation. Uh, he said, "You're the, you are my uh, you're my epistles. You're living epistles written in in uh, tables of the heart, in fleshy tables of the heart." And so, uh, the fruit was his credentials. That's why the the point is, where's the fruit? And and so Paul um, uh, then also pointed out that our credibility is found in spiritual fruit of discipleship, uh, and they were the disciples that that. Uh, they, as disciples following him as he followed Christ, were also part of that fruit. Then we saw, um, really, that Paul, uh, <clears throat> you know, wasn't going to wait till the judgment seat of Christ to see the fruit. That's probably the one of the most encouraging things that we looked at last week. Is when we're walking in the Spirit and we're involved in teaching others what God has given us, then we have the evidence um, of the fruit right now. So a lot of things that we're looking forward to in eternity, like a new body, I could use one of those. Um, you know, seeing Jesus face to face, the angels, uh, the third heaven. There's all kinds of things, the streets of gold, 
I mean, there's all kinds of things that we can look forward to in, in heaven, and that we should, uh, but some things you don't have to wait for. So we can build relationships and see the fruit of God's uh, spirit in people today, and that's an exciting thing. So that's where we left off. So tonight I want to pick it up in 2 Corinthians 3, and uh, if you have your Bibles, let's look at verses uh, 4 through 16. Uh, I'll just start in verse 1 for context, and then we'll go 1 through 16. It says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart, and such... Trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiencies of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of, the, uh, of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, for the glory of his countenance, um, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of, the, of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceeding glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall uh, turn to when they shall, I'm sorry. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the the Lord is that Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open, excuse me, with open face, beholding, <clears throat> open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for time tonight to come together and pray uh, together for one another. Lord, prayer is so important. Thank you for Ron and his beautiful voice and his singing and leading us into your throne tonight. Thank you for just all the work of your body uh, preparing to feed the lambs this week in v uh, VBS. Thank you for each and every person that has uh, uh, ministered uh, in the VBS and uh, in all the different aspects of the ministry here at Heartland. Uh, Lord, we pray, God, a, a special blessing tonight on the reading, the hearing, and the application of your word. May you quicken our understanding and teach us through the Holy Ghost and comfort us and convict us. Lord, we thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, just kind of, I've already kind of covered where we were, uh, the evidence of a spirit-filled Christian. We talked about uh, that. And so tonight we're going to be talking about spiritual ministry. In, verse, in verses 1 through 3, spiritual fruit. And in verse, I went through verse 18, in verses 4 through 16, it really is dealing with a spiritual ministry. And so, let me jump down to that point. Where's the fruit? All right, so where's the spiritual ministry? That's really the question uh, that Paul's asking here. Uh, point A, credible Christians trust God for results. 
And so when we look back in verses 4 and 5 that I just read, we see that Paul says, And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of, of God. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 4 that uh, his verti- it's a vertical perspective uh, and faith which uh, he trusts to produce fruit. Back in chapter 3 here in verse 4, he says, Out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love. Oh, I'm in, verse, I'm in chapter 2, verse 4. And such trust have we through Christ uh, to Godward. And so, um, and so Paul is, is trusting the Lord uh, for fruit. So in the bi- biblically, New Testament ministry is not based on our own power. It's based on the power of the Lord. He says in verse 5, not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of Christ. And so they ha- he has confidence in Christ. Uh, and he, he believes that God will give him the results, which is absolutely the way it should be. So point B, uh, spirit-filled Christians beget spirit-filled Christians. And that's really important. So spirit-filled Christians beget uh, spirit-filled Christians. And so a generation of mules, um, let me see if I got that here. Did I put that in there? Yeah. So the church today is raising a whole generation of mules. Okay, let me, let me get into this with you for a minute. Um, and they know how to sweat and to work, but they don't know how to reproduce themselves. And so being a Missourian, uh, this is a really applicable illustration. And so it, it's not known who really said that, but it's a statement of incredible insight because mules are hard workers. They have uh, carried supplies, plowed fields, pulled wagons, transported people, and, th- and there's only one problem. Uh, they're almost always sterile, and they cannot reproduce. And you know that because you're a farm girl. And so, uh, and so they work hard, but it, it, but they're the end of the line. So uh, they don't produce more like themselves. So the church is full of hard workers. They teach classes, serve the physical needs of others. They clean, they mow, they cook, uh, they move tables, they organize social activities, which are all good things to do. They even visit and, and write letters and cards. I do those things. Um, uh, and they do a host of other things. Uh, but the problem is, if we don't produce, then we're not useful. I mean, actually, uh, we need to make sure we're reproducing. So uh, we need to make sure we're, we're obviously preaching the gospel and making disciples. And otherwise, we'll be the end of the line. We'll be like a mule, like a Missouri mule. And so the real job that the Lord gave unto us is to go into all the world and reproduce ourselves and make disciples. And I think you guys know that from the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So it's a tough lesson to realize that, that you may have worked really, really, really hard, but you still haven't gotten the job done. Wouldn't that be a bummer? It's like, oh, man, I've been busy, 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 but I'm not really doing what I'm supposed to do. That, what a bummer that would be. So let's be clear on this. You know, Paul says, I, I speak very plainly uh, in this passage. Uh, so if we're not evangelizing, we're not doing the job completely. And if we're not, and, and if we're not making new generations... Uh, then basically we're on the road to extinction. Uh, I, I have a dear relative that's in a church. It was just so sad. I, I was over. At the, I was visiting the church for a, a funeral, and uh, they don't have a pastor, and it's it's dying. Nobody wants to be the pastor for a lot of reasons I won't get into. And it's a Baptist church. It's got a long, long history. Been around since the 1800s, and uh, it's just sad, you know. Uh, and yeah, churches have a life life cycle, but it's really not that. That's not really the issue. Uh, it's, that, it's that they really aren't on mission. 
they're not making disciples and they're not and it's not about, they're not about the mission and so they still have church and they still have a lot of committee i looked at the calendar while i was there they had the church calendar and uh they still have all their meetings committee meetings and this meeting and women's auxiliary this and that and it's just the same three or four people having meetings and but there's no one getting saved there's no one being discipled and uh and there's no pastors that want to go there it's, it's just sad and so I felt bad because I had to break the news. One of the pastors that they were looking at is one of the, is a pastor here in Harrisonville, and uh, I'm pretty certain that uh, he's not heading down there. So, at any rate, um, it's just sad to see that happen. So, point C: credible Christian men, a, men, a, a credible Christian minister, a, minister blah, a credible Christian ministers New Testament grace, not Old Testament legalism. That's really important too. So in verses 6 to 16, we address that. And I'm not going to reread all that at one time. But in verse 6, it says, And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. So he's saying that no matter what, if I'm suffering or I'm comforted, it is not really for me, it's for you. If I'm suffering, it's for you, and if I'm in, if I'm being comforted, it's for you. So he's he's uh, it's amazing. Uh, he is he his attitude. So God enables us to minister more than knowledge, and really, when we talk about you know life on life, that's really what we're talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. His life is about edifying, building other people up. We talked about that this morning out of Ephesians chapter uh, Ephesians four, and so. God enables us to minister more than knowledge. Historically, there was not a New Testament canon complete at this time. So even though Paul said that he was not a minister of the letter, he knew as much of the Old Testament theology as anyone of his day. I mean, Paul actually did know a lot of Old Testament letter. He knew, he knew as much as anybody. And so it wasn't that he couldn't minister the letter. Uh, but the application here is that Paul is saying that, in, that our impact as a New Testament ministers is found in our ability to trust God for the supernatural fruit in people's lives, not the teaching of folks to obey the rules set down on paper. So Paul was looking for fruit. Again, where's the fruit? That's what Paul was looking for. And uh, you can remind me to do that because I keep forgetting. So, uh, so in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, you know, he says the letter killeth. So if you want to kill a Christian spiritual growth, simply replace their relationship with Christ with a religion full of rules, right? You're, and Baptists are notorious for this, right? You know, your dress is too long, your hair is too long, or no, I'm sorry, your dress is too short, uh, your hair is too long, whatever it is, you know. There's just all these rules, and the intention is good to be godly and all of that. Uh, you're not dressing godly enough, et cetera, et cetera, but they're so subjective, and, the, and it's not based on truth. That Then the next thing you know, we're exalting man's rules above the word of God. And there's no, there's no grace. No grace at all. And so someone comes in and they don't even know the rules. And they're immediately condemned for stuff that really wasn't in the Bible to start with. It was never the issue. Because the issue is always the heart. And so, so Paul's not focusing on the letter of the law. Though there is nothing wrong with the letter of the law. He's making that abundantly clear. But he's saying, man, grace is so much more glorious. So no one alive can keep the Ten Commandments, nor the other 600 statutes and ordinances contained in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And there's not one of us that's going to do that. It's just not going to happen. Um, but Jesus can. He's done it. And he will do it. So he can keep it. But instead of condemning us, he encourages us. So the reason that Jesus died in our place is because we've all sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. So our ministry, uh, our ministry, like Paul's, is not to place people under the yoke of the law, but to free them from the bondage of sin through the power of Christ. So here's how, how this works in a lot of Baptist churches. Um, a baby Christian enters the congregation, and then we inundate them with rules that aren't in the Bible. Um, don't drink, don't smoke, don't dress a certain way, don't have long hair, don't wear pants, don't wear shorts, don't wear, don't listen to secular music, don't watch television, don't play cards, now don't get on the internet, don't have Facebook, you know, don't go to the movies, don't, 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 don't. And, uh, and that's the ministry method um, that many use. And, if the, and that's the way we do ministry. We need to stop it. We need to repent. Because uh, you, you can, can't you trust God to work in someone's life? I mean, at some point, you've got to believe God is able to do what he says he'll do. I just spoke to someone today, and uh, they need to do some don'ts in their life. You know, don't do drugs. That's a good idea. Don't do drugs. All right? But that's not what we offer here. I mean, you shouldn't do drugs, obviously, because you know your life is a mess. But our, our deal here is, hey, you need grace. You need love. You need Jesus. You need to replace the drugs with something better. Obviously, we don't need to do drugs, and we don't need to do a lot of things. But what we need is what we, the church is here to provide what we need. It's not wrong to, to point out, by the way, obviously, sin. Uh, but we do got to be careful to, have, to offer the right thing which is the gospel and the grace of God through the word of God so that people can replace the sin with something that's eternal. And so that's the key. Um, you know, some people go to the other extreme and they don't address sin at all. Well, that's not helpful either. So we do need to be balanced there. But, um, <clears throat> and so uh, we got to trust God, though, with people uh, and to do his work in them. So, uh, you know, because once you get into the rules, how short is too short? I don't know. Are we going to measure Sister Susie's dress as she comes in the door? Oh, well, she's not even wearing a dress. And so now, and so it's all issues of silliness. So now this, I'm going back in the archives about 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Those things are, have kind of, well, they really, not in all churches, but in most churches, those things have kind of ran their courses. But, um, but those things still continue to, to, to uh, plague. Uh, Legalism is always going to plague the church. So uh, there's just, you got to be careful because uh, you, you've got to, you, you cannot uh, exalt man-made rules over the Word of God. That'll always cause problems. So people don't need our Christian letters on what they can and they can't do. They need Christ to show them what godly ministers look like. They need a model. They need someone to model that. And so balance is obviously important. And we should call sin out and we should address it. Paul did in 1 Corinthians 5. He didn't just say, oh, don't worry about it. No, he said, no, you shouldn't have... You definitely should not have your father's wife, and you definitely should rebuke that person and, and kick them out of the church even so that God, they'll be turned over to the devil so that they can be restored. You know, So he wasn't uh, turning a blind eye to sin uh, at all. Um, he was saying, hey, deal with that. But certainly Christians shouldn't act like they're lost, uh, and, and uh, they should walk in the Spirit. So there's, a, there's some reality there. So Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 23, that is the reality of what our life should look like. So we have the fruit. We've been talking about fruit. So we need, what was Paul looking for when it came to fruit? I'm glad you asked. Galatians 5 tells us in verses 19 through 23, the fruit that Paul's looking for, uh, and not the rules, but the fruit, is found there. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. This is what he, this is what he, he knew was wrong. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, variance, emulations, wrath, 
strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and in case I missed anything else, and such like. All the stuff like that. Okay, and then he goes on to say, Of which I tell you before, and have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you want to lose your inheritance, keep at it. And you will be, you'll be saved, yet so is by fire. And you'll have nothing at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. Because this isn't dealing with lost people. Galatians 5 is directly speaking to Christians. And so you say, well, they lost their salvation. No, they lost their inheritance. I'm, I'm always my mama's son, but that doesn't mean I get my inheritance, <laughs> right? She'll never disown me, but she may not want to give me an inheritance if, I don't, if I'm not responsible, right? So, so that's the reality. So it says, but, this is the con- contrasting that, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Here's the fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, uh, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. There's no letter of the law for that. Uh, there's, there, you don't have to keep those rules. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And so, uh, as a matter of fact, that has to resonate from divinity, from God in you. And so we have to walk in the Spirit. And that's what Paul's talking about, not in the letter of the law. So, so should we throw out the Old Testament? Well, Paul addresses that in verses 7 through 16. And he says no. You know, Paul spends uh, verses 7 through 16, which we already read, explaining why we should not or why we should understand the Old Testament law. There's nothing wrong with the law. In verses 7 through 8, uh, Paul uh, talks about the ministry of death is so glorious that Moses' face shone. Uh, I mean, that's, that, if, that, if keeping the law, which if, if, if receiving the law, which no man can keep, is so glorious that Moses' face was shining, how much more glorious is the New Testament? He says it's even more glorious, more glorious than the law, in verses 7 through 8. And then in verse 9, if the condemnation of the law reveals God's glory, how much more does the ministry of God's grace? So if God giving us a, a set of standards that nobody can reach, uh, is, so, is that glorious, then what's going to happen when he gives us the grace of God through the New Testament? It's going to be even more glorious. That's what Paul's saying. That's not what I'm saying. Verse 9, that's what Paul says. Um, as in Galatians, it says, 11, 11 is the whole lump. I was like, whoa, what? No, wrong verse. So, yeah, in verse 9, Paul says that. For if the ministration of, the, of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. So, in verses 10 and 11, the Bible says, For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more than that which, that which remaineth is glorious. So if God glorified the law and he knew he would abolish it through death of his own son, how much glorious is the ministry of the New Testament gospel? The law could not provide eternal life, but faith in Christ is eternal life. And so it's much more glorious. And so praise God for that. And so uh, we move to the next point, which is credible Christians have 20-20 spiritual vision. Uh, And and praise God for that. Because 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 12 uh, says here, seeing then that we have... Hope, we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And so our hope should produce clear speaking about the truth uh, that Old Testament saints could never have understood or communicated. They could have never understood that what we understand. We see that. Paul, uh, Peter, Jesus, all of them are talking to people who were vastly educated in the, in the Old Testament. But they couldn't comprehend what they were saying because it's spiritually discerned. And so... Man, we can speak very plainly and clearly as if, well, everybody knows this. But you know what? 
I just got a, a Facebook post from Michelle Horton last night about Ben, uh, ben Shapiro. How many of you guys you know who Ben Shapiro is? So nobody. One of you knows. A couple of you. Yeah, he's a, he's a radio. He's a he's like a radio podcast news figure guy. He's a very very bright uh, Jewish young man. Um, a very man. He's he's a, he's a very disciplined intellectually. Um, I've seen him. He can carry on conversations that most people can't. He's a very bright young man. Uh, I respect him in that regard. Uh, his intellect is highly respectable. And he's committed to his Judaism, by the way. I mean, you don't see him out without his yarmulke, and he is committed to the Sabbath. I, 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 hats off to Ben Shapiro in re, as far as being a religious man. Um, the post was that he's allegorical in his interpretation of the Old Testament, which doesn't surprise me because he's like a Hellenist. But all that aside, he can't see the gospel. I sat him. I've saw him sit with uh, two Christians at least, uh, and, and give very. One was Ravi Zacharias, and the other one was uh, um, John MacArthur, and both gave very good, very clear, and good explanations of the gospel uh, to Ben Shapiro. And you know he was polite to his credit and courteous, but to my knowledge, right now he's blind. He cannot see. Right, and uh, it's a shame. I pray for that man's salvation. As smart as he is, he's, he could run circles around me intellectually. He still can't see plainly that his, that his Messiah that he reads in the Old Testament has already come. His, and it's Jesus Christ. Though he is, seems to be somewhat fond of Christians because of our faith and, and our understanding of Judaism. So, uh, or at least the Old Testament. This is why we should preach the gospel with great simplicity and clarity. So we should preach the gospel very simply and clearly. It doesn't need to be convoluted and complex. So the Old Testament revealed the shadows of liberty of Christ in the New Testament, but not the clear picture. So there's pictures in the Old Testament. There's shadows of, of grace, but it doesn't really come, come through like it does in the New Testament. And that's what verses 13 through 15 are speaking to when he says, And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look at the end of that which was abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day there remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. We could say that very exact statement almost 2,000 years later. When a Jew picks up the Bible and reads it in the Old Testament, they do not see the same things. They don't see Ruth as a picture of the church. They don't see Boaz as a picture of Jesus. They don't understand um, when they read Exodus chapter 12 and they see a sacrifice and a lamb with his blood over the door and the death angel passing over and, the pa and they celebrate the Passover feast every year, they don't see Jesus. You know, we see Jesus so clearly. All those shadows were there, but the New Testament reveals the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's beautiful. And so... I think, uh, yeah, absolutely has to do with the Holy Spirit of God and the hardness of their heart. So, um, and so that's really what Paul's pointing out in this in this uh, passage. And so the Old Testament revealed those shadows. And, and uh, in Exodus thirty four and verse thirty three, Moses had to put a veil over his face to cover the glory of God from radiating from his face as he spoke uh, of the commandments delivered to him on Mount Sinai. And this is what Paul is referring to in this verse, in verse thirteen. Uh, when he talks about Moses having that veil over his face. So the temple was constructed with a veil which covered the Holy of Holies. And annually the high priest was instructed to enter into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle with blood seven times upon the mercy seat and the horns of the altar. In Leviticus 16.2, the Bible states that the high priest risked his life entering 
beyond the veil. And they would tie a rope to his ankle, to the high priest's ankle, so that they could drag him out if he were unclean in any way. And, uh, and so at, at Jesus' resurrection, the scripture is clear that the veil in Herod's temple was rent from top to bottom in Mark 15, 38. That means that we have access to the Holy of Holies, and that's through Jesus Christ. So God always intended Israel to replace the law with living relationship. Even in Ezekiel 36 and verse 26, which I think I have. Oops. Ooh, look at that. I got a laser beam. All right. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Um, so I don't have that up there for you. But in that passage, in uh, Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, the Bible says, A new heart will I give to you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. So God is talking to a whole nation. He's going to quicken them. But right now they're dead in trespasses and sins, just like we were before we met Christ. Even having the law, as glorious as it was, it doesn't redeem them. So the Old Testament was recorded on tables of stone, recording the rules of God. The New Testament records the love of God as it reveals his heart for the reconciliation of the entire world. And there's a vast difference. But you can see shadows of that all the way through the Old Testament, just in the way God dealt with Gentiles and Israel. So in 2 Corinthians three fourteen through 15, as we're kind of getting ready to land the plane here, to this day the Jews are blinded in part to the truth of the New Testament, which is, tell, is what Paul Told the, taught the Romans in Romans eleven twenty five through 26. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. Would to God that Ben Shapiro could see that. But right now he's blind and, and he's ignorant of that mystery. So 2 Corinthians 3, 16 says this, this verse parallels, parallels uh, Romans eleven twenty six, <clears throat> and Israel will one day see that they miss their Messiah and embrace the New Testament ministry of Christ. So the Apostle Paul is is uh, typifying this uh, in the loss of his own vision on the road to Damascus. He was blinded by the glory of God and then went on to preach the gospel to the entire world. And that's actually what God has in store for the nation of Israel. In the coming tribulation, it will be through the 144,000 that the glorious gospel is preached. Of course, that will be a different time uh, Roman Matthew chapter twenty uh, chapter twenty four and verse thirteen. Well, it has a different outcome uh, than it does today because the, the age of grace will be over at the rapture of the church, and they'll have to endure to the end to be saved. But nevertheless, there will be a, a means of salvation in the coming tribulation, and it will come through the nation of Israel as they wake from their blindness. So, how is our vision? That's the bottom line. Let's get some application here. Uh, how is our vision? In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, the Bible says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and let the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. So our blindness costs eternal lives. According to Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where there is no vision, you guys know it, the people perish, right? But whosoever keep the law, happy is he. So none of us have kept the whole law, but we can be happy because, well, Jesus did. And that's why we have vision and won't perish, because we understand who Jesus is. He is the glory of God, and he is the light of the world, and he's our light, and he's our life. And that's who we got to share with everybody. And that is where we're going to stop tonight. So that's our ministry, is to get the light out. Uh, not a, not a, a relationship, uh, not a religion, uh, but a relationship. So we got to decide what do we have, a religion 
a relationship. But I know with you guys, you got a relationship, so I'm preaching in the choir. But uh, praise God. Don't get legalistic and don't get caught up in religion. Um, although not all everything about religion is bad, uh, but don't replace Jesus with that. You know, that's really the bottom line. Nothing wrong with keeping the Ten Commandments. The problem is you can't keep the Ten Commandments. So you can't put on other people what you can't keep yourself. So grace is mandatory. And uh, that's, what Je- that's why Jesus gave us grace. Yeah, there's some traditions. Even Paul said that, didn't he? So there are certain traditions that, 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 that Paul taught that they should keep for sure. So next time we get together, we'll talk about our spiritual growth. And, uh, and uh, I'm going to pause right there for now because uh, of the time that we have. We need to keep moving. That's a lot of information in a short amount of time. So you guys, uh, I hope that was edifying. Are there any questions on that or in this text? This is kind of can be a kind of confusing text. Um. Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians is kind of weaves in and out, you know, so it's not always easy to follow. Yes, ma'am. Jack saved, yeah. Well, that's, I'm glad you asked that. So Jews can see. because it's blindness in part has happened to the Jews uh, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So as a nation, no, they're blinded until, uh, you know, so God's going to deal with the Jew like he would deal with anyone else. Uh, that's why it's an individual relationship. So I'm glad you brought this up. I'm still on recording. Yeah, this is good. Let's stay on recording. So um, because what I'm not saying is that Jews can't get saved. Hyman Appleman got saved. There's lots of Jews. I got Joe Shaloff, a good friend of mine, saved. There's Jews over here in Overland Park that are saved. Praise God. Uh, we've had Jews here preaching. So, and, and, But a Jew has to come through Jesus. It, they're not coming through the law. As a matter of fact, we had a Jewish speaker here, and in my, I haven't had him back because as we were talking, the more I talked to him, the, the more I, I realized he's still under the, he's almost under the same delusion and I get what he's saying that God's chosen they're God's chosen people, God has a plan for his people, et cetera, et cetera. But his mindset was we need to separate the Jewish people in the church. And I'm like, well now we're back to Galatians. That's a misunderstanding of what God has done. You're a new creature in Christ. Old things passed away, all things become new. There's no separation. We're a new creature. So uh unless a Jew's willing to embrace that, you know, which is the hard part. Uh it's like a Roman Catholic. You know, it's hard for Roman Catholics to come to Christ because you have to really not because they want to, but oftentimes, you know, you you feel like you're betraying your your family and everyone else because to to be I can see the look in your eye what? because because when you're a Roman Catholic, um, you're baptized into the church and you're also your whole family is connected through the Roman Catholicism. So when you'd make a decision to trust Christ as Savior, uh, the church, if they take it literally, the church is excommunicates you and you're a heretic. So. So, because you're not a part of the universal church, right? So the same thing would be of a Jew. A really strong Orthodox family would feel the same way. And so it's a big decision for Jews to to trust Christ alone, like it was for Paul. And so uh, Paul got saved, you know, Stephen got saved, the apostles got saved. So Jews get saved. So I'm not saying Jews get saved, but all those Jews that got saved when they, when they addressed Israel, like we saw in Acts, Israel as, as a nation, their heart's hard. And as a whole... Um, uh, the Jew, the you know Jews' heart. The Jews are still blind to the gospel, so you can't go to Jerusalem even today 
and just roll out on the street corner and start preaching Christ without being condemned. I mean, an Orthodox Jew literally want to kill you just like they wanted to kill Paul or Stephen. So, um, and so in that sense, they're still blind because he's he's our Messiah, but he's he's yours first, <laughs> you know. And they just they don't see it. They don't. That's the blindness. They just don't not. They do not see that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law and is their Messiah. Does that answer your question? So they can get saved, and they will. It doesn't mean we shouldn't. It's still to the Jew first and also the Greek. So I don't have a problem if you want to prioritize the ministry in Overland Park because per capita there's as many Jews here as anywhere else in the world. And so you can go over there and preach to the Jews, and you should. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but also don't be surprised if they if you know they don't get saved and they hang on to Judaism. Yeah, Ron, you had your hand up. Yeah, yeah, that's a good example, uh, illustration, an example. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard for Ben Shapiro because he's got an allegorical interpretation of the Bible. So he's like a Sadducee in that sense. And the Sadducees didn't believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible at the first coming. And so a lot of that teaching is also blinding. The same. Well, this is this is a. This is why we have these fun times at the Bible study. That's an interesting caveat because in Revelation 3, the church is blinded. What happened between Revelation 3 and Revelation 3, uh, verse, I'm dealing with the Laodicean church. So what happens between Revelation 3 and the Philadelphian church, which the door is wide open and the gospel is going all over the planet, and Revelation 3 and the Laodicean church where the church is blind and God's knocking. They not only are they dumb or they're deaf, and they're blind, right? They don't even know where Jesus is at. Well, the same thing with the Jews is is uh, just like the Sadducees. They're looking right at Jesus, saying, "Where's the Messiah?" You know, and uh, at least at least it, it troubled uh, Herod, you know, um, or uh, Pilate, I should say. Pilate was well, Herod too, but Pilate was troubled, you know, when he's, you know, are you the Christ? I'll say us. Oh. And he's scared. You know, he's like, well, my, my, my wife's having dreams, and this is getting a little wonky here, guys. Why don't you just take this guy and deal with him? <laughs> you know? But the Jews, the Sadducees, they're like, hey, they're playing games with Jesus the whole time. And then when he, they don't, when they, when he, as he, Jesus said, when I, you know, when I don't dance when you pipe, right? I don't, I don't do the jig whenever you play your fiddle. That's the Midwestern analogy there. There's my allegorical interpretation. But anyway, so when I don't, when I don't dance when you pipe, well, then you want to kill me, right? So... Um, so that's the relationship. And so you can see a parallel because the last 120 years, the Bible has been attacked and allegorized in so many instances. And you can, and the church is getting blind and deaf, just like the Jews have been blind and deaf. Because uh, even the Orthodox Jews, you know, the ones that really take a literal view of the Scripture, uh, as we should and we do, we would line up more as Baptists with Pharisees. So that's why we got we also parallel that, and we tend to get legalistic. And so, because we take a literal view of the Bible. But that is a safer place. Paul was a Pharisee. The people that got saved are typically a literal view. People who don't get saved usually have an allegorical view of the Bible. So, um, and that doesn't matter if they're in the religion of Judaism or the religion of, of um, Christianity. 
whatever name you want to put on it. If you don't have a literal view that Jesus is literally God, that literally died on the cross, literally rose again, is literally in heaven, literally going to come back, you're not going to get saved because you just got up a nice, warm, fuzzy religion. And so that's, what, that's why, really, that's why a lot of people are blind, uh, including the Jews. It's just different. The dynamic with the Jews, you can't say to a Buddhist, you've got, the, you've got the true God, Jehovah God. But you say to a, okay, so if you say to a Jew, Jehovah's the true God, they'll be like, oh, yeah, we know that. You say to a Jew, and by the way, Jehovah is Jesus. Now you're the heretic, and they want to take you out. And so that's the problem, is reckoning with who Jesus said he was. It's the same problem that's always been uh, since Jesus showed up the first time. And uh, it's greatly offensive to a literal interpreter of the Old Testament, uh, Orthodox Jew. Ben Shapiro, he doesn't care because, well, none of it's actually accurate. None of it. It's all just, you know, it's a good moral. It, he, he takes the view. Well, forgive me, Ben, if you want to correct me. I'd love to visit with you and you can correct me. But um, I believe that Ben Shapiro would take the view that we, the tr- historical view that God has entrusted the people. He is a Zionist, so he believes in the restoration of Israel. He believes in the promises of Jehovah to Israel. But he's, and he believes that's literal. Um, but he doesn't. He wouldn't go as far as uh, taking the Old Testament Genesis account literally, and he would see that. Yeah, he wouldn't take. He doesn't. I got an article. That's what Michelle sent us, and so it's allegory. But but as a Jew, he's responsible, or he is part of the movement of Jehovah God to to get the law of Jehovah out to the rest of the world, um, and so that's that's where. Uh, kind of a guy like Ben Shapiro would land. And because of that, you know, he's a moral guy. He's a great guy. He's a brilliant guy. He's just not a saved man, you know. And it gets you right back to the same law of issues of morality over over Jesus Christ and grace and, and truth. So that's a good question. Any other comments or thoughts? I may have bored you to tears. But anyway, I like those are things I like to think about. All right, so let's... Uh, um, I got some prayer pieces here. I'm going to hand these out, a few of them. I won't burden you guys too much.